Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin. This is part two of a draft deep dive with Derek Parker. Derek, welcome back. Thank you. It's glad to be back. Um, yeah, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, you know, some people say the sequels are often better than the originals. Some would say. Uh, and I think I have created a list here in true sequel fashion that I, I think these movies are far and away better than the original. I've only done direct sequels, not like episode six of episode one. So here are my direct sequels that I think are better. Potentially hot takes. I'm not sure. My far and away number one is Shrek 2. I think Shrek 2 is the perfect movie. It's better in every way than the original. The singing, the dancing, it's just, it's the perfect movie. Coming that, with some heat here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one might be the, the most controversial. And then I have The Dark Knight, one that I feel is not extremely controversial. No. Empire Strikes Back, probably not too controversial either. Spider-Man 2 of the Raimi trilogy. I like it more. I don't, I mean, Doc Ock did a lot for me personally. And then Terminator 2, which again, I don't feel is a hot take, but those are my sequels that I think is better. And I think this episode might just end up being better too. So I might have to add this one to the list after. I, I sure hope so. I, I hope the <laughs> clip later out of context, Doc Ock did a lot for me. <laughs> <laughs> just for my childhood, my my mental state, Doc Ock did a, did a bunch. So, <laughs> all right. Dude, that's that's great. That's a great starting point. Uh, I don't have a great transition to Jordan Hawkins here, but tell me about Jordan Hawkins outside of him being a 6'5 guard, 185, 6'10 uh, wingspan out of UConn. Yeah, national champion Jordan Hawkins, one of the focal points to the Huskies national championship team. He's a guy who he's pretty niche in the fact that he is probably the best off ball scorer in the entire class. And doesn't offer a lot outside of that, but he is like next level elite at that. Like his off ball shooting, the way he positions himself, the shot variety he can get up from the three point line. It's like Isaiah Joe on steroids. It, it his off ball shooting is just phenomenal. Now there's there's lots of kinks in other places, like can't handle the rock superbly well. His defense is pretty good. I mean, he's lengthy, he's shown some point of attack defense here and there, but overall that's not what you're drafting him for. So he is very, very niche in the fact that he's going to give you a lot of one thing and hopefully he can make impact elsewhere. And to me, just my personal thoughts, I don't try to draft people in the lottery that aren't versatile like that, but I think there are a few, there are a few teams in the late lotto that if they really, really need shooting like the magic or if the Thunder had a sudden philosophy change and wanted to really grab shooting, maybe them. But overall, I, I tend to stay away from guys like this in the lottery. But he's a really good player, and he's going to be like a day one impact off-ball shooter. Just the things that you can run for him and and the plays. Yeah, well, he shot roughly 40% from three on seven attempts per game, which is just nuts. 
Uh, the only cause for concern that I really had for him was uh, you mentioned there was not much outside of the shooting. He played 30 minutes per game and averaged one assist per game. Yeah. Yeah. The assist, even like the rebounding, he's not like an incredible defensive playmaker. So I think I, in my heat check video I did on him, I want to say his swing skill was just impact. Like, what does he do in total everywhere else? And I think he's a good enough basketball player. He, he's in, like savvy enough that I think he'll be able to find ways to impact the game. It's not like he's going to be standing in the corner and that's it, but it's certainly a concern and definitely a concern for me in the lottery because that's like the cream of the crop. Like everybody is going to have at least a couple skills that are elite and and Hawk just has the one for me. So, well, you mentioned that it was like Isaiah Joe on steroids, just like shooting wise, or maybe I'm saying that incorrectly. Uh, but how would you compare him to Isaiah Joe just in general defense, handle, passing, athleticism and other stuff like that? Because I think Thunder fans obviously have a good idea of what Isaiah Joe is. Yeah, honestly, I hadn't even thought about it before this, but it's pretty similar in the fact that their handle isn't great, but like they both can go to it. Like we've seen Isaiah go to the paint and dunk it and we're like, where did this come from? Hawk's kind of the same way in the fact that he doesn't bust it out a ton, but he can really lull you to sleep with, oh, I'm going to take 11 three-pointers per game, but when I do drive, it's probably going to be there. He's similar in that regard. Athletically, I think they're probably pretty similar too. The thing with Hawk is he's long. Like you talked about his wingspan. His point of attack defense when he locks in is like really, really good. Now it's only there in spurts, but I mean, he he has like the makings of an overall player. Like you can see the framework. It's just really hard for me to kind of not see it at UConn sometimes and expect that like 24-7 in the NBA. But I think he'll be a, a good role player for a long time. I'm just not sure that's necessarily what you want to look for at 12, if that makes sense. Do you think that he would be higher up on boards if he was a little bit younger? Because he just turned 21, and I know that there's definitely um, some stigmatism towards younger guys in the draft if he was, say, 19 even. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, he's one of the older players that's getting lottery looks in general. He was one of the older players on his team. His shooting numbers in year one are pretty abysmal. Now, the the volume wasn't there at all. Like We know from the year two numbers that he's a good shooter, but those year one numbers are like slightly scary in like a fluky way. Like, What if he was just really in the zone for eight months? So if he was a freshman doing this, I think there'd be a lot less worries about him. But still, I mean, like, like I said, we know he's going to be a good shooter. You can just tell by the variety of things that he does. Like, If you look at what he does and then you look at what a guy like Taylor Hendricks is doing, even though the numbers might appear similar, like it's not. If Jordan Hawkins was purely catch and shoot, spotting up from the corner, similar to what Taylor, Ho to what Taylor Hendricks is doing, I mean, it, his numbers would be phenomenal. He'd shoot 50 or 60% from three. It wouldn't even be close. Well, then tell me about the off the dribble three stuff. Is that something that he has that he can do consistently or is it something he needs to work on? Because, I mean, the Thunder have had guys who that's kind of their calling card, like a Trey man who's kind of come and gone. But is that something that Hawkins has in his game? It's definitely not his primary thing, but he's got counters to a lot. So he's got like one or two dribble pull ups. He can take you off the dribble like he's got the important kind of counter punches he can throw at you but he's probably not going to be doing step backs or anything like that anytime soon in, in Trey man fashion, but he certainly got counters to things, which is what you want in a shooter. And then the last thing on him, this is a hypothetical that'll doesn't really matter, but I'm going to throw it out at you. 
which would you take if it was Grady Dick at Hawkins size or um, Hawkins at Grady Dick side uh, size? Like they're even no matter what. So either Grady gets shrunk or Jordan gets maxed where they're at the same height. How do you evaluate like those two players? Is it is it just the height difference of why Grady's going higher? Height and then he's younger. He's more of like a household name, which is why he's just mocked higher right now. If Jordan Hawkins was six eight, though, like that would be really age aside, that would be really, really hard for me to pass on, I think. Especially just the way he moves at six five. Like if he was doing those same type things at six eight, I would have a hard time passing on him for sure. Are there any other um, shooters that he reminds you of at the NBA level? I know we talked about Isaiah for quite a bit. Uh, Malik Monk a little bit. He's got some uh, some Malik Monk, especially when he was at Kentucky. Uh, but other than that, I mean, he's kind of got a unique style almost. He's he's so good at squaring up. And I know a lot of the best shooters in the league are, but like he is pretty next level for for his age right now and, and just what he was doing with UConn. So he's a he's a really good basketball player. What's his athleticism level? I know I said the last question. This is the last one about him, though. <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. He can he can surprise you. It's not something I don't think he's going to be relying on necessarily. Like it, it's not something that's going to give him an advantage necessarily over others. But similar to Isaiah Joe, there's just times where it pops up and you're like, I didn't know he could do that. And and it probably shows a little more on the defensive end. But Overall, like I just can't see him not making an impact. I don't know if it's going to be quite the impact of some of these other names that we're looking at. Kaysen, Azar, Cam, Whitmore. Like, might not be to their level, but he is going to be so, so good. Like Day one, you're going to be able to run him off two off-ball screens, and he's going to quick fire, shoot a three, uh, moving 50 miles an hour. It's going to be phenomenal. Well, let's talk about Kaysen Wallace. 6'3", 193 pounds, 6'6", wingspan at 19 years old, out of Kentucky. Yeah, Kaysen's one of my favorite players in this draft and one of the players that I think the Thunder are really, really going to look at at 12 or potentially even a little higher if they wanted to trade up if someone was going to snag him. But he measured really well at the combine. I think he actually measured 6'4 with like a 6'8 wingspan. And he's so good defensively on the perimeter that if he was 6'2 with a plus wingspan, I'd still be happy. So the fact that he measured at 6'4, 6'8 is phenomenal. Probably the best perimeter defender in the entire class. Uh, can kind of switch between that tweener point guard and shooting guard role. Did it all year for Kentucky. By the end of the year, he was really running point a little more, which is what you want to see kind of roll into that. But he is pound for pound. Like the Drew Holiday comparison is so, so overused, but it's absolutely what you have to look at when you're looking at, at Case and Wallace and even Lou Dort sometimes too. Like just the way they move defensively, their instincts are so similar. And then offensively to to be able to have that versatility of like his catch and shoot numbers weren't great. They tapered off near the end of the year, but he can get to a respectable point. So if you can be a catch and shoot specialist and kind of swap in and out of that, like lead point guard role while giving elite defense, like what more do you want from a, from a guard? Like it, it he's so versatile. He's so versatile. He's one of my favorite players from what I've seen of him. It didn't, exactly have anything that popped off the screen but what did stand out to me was just his stability and just how consistent he was it wasn't like highs and lows where it's like huge games small games but he didn't really sink to a point but he was just across the board solid which i think is going to translate into being a role player 
to that point, he is a guy that I don't know what his range is in this draft because like you said, he's not flashy really in any way, but he is a guy that is going to impact winning basketball 1000%. So he could rightfully go at like seven or eight and a smart team would be like, we are getting an impactful basketball player for sure. Or he could slip to 12 where the Thunder are because he's just not as flashy as Jarris Walker or Azar Thompson. And I, I just don't know what his range is. If there's smart teams ahead of the Thunder, they'll take him. If not, I think the Thunder take a pretty hard look at number 12. Yeah, I like him too. The Thunder, you know, they have some space for some extra guards. I mean, this roster, like we talked about in part one, is pretty open where you can fit about anybody in there. So that should be interesting. But yeah, to me, he feels like a high floor guy. But I'm, what do you think his ceiling is if he does max out in a way on some of these things? Ceiling is, I mean, first team all defense. First off, like his defensive ceiling, his instincts, you, he's just born with stuff like that. It's, it's unteachable. And then offensively, it's kind of tough because I don't I don't see him as like a long term point guard necessarily. He he can play point. He does find with the ball in hands, but I just don't know that. I see that. And then I don't really see him as a pure shooting guard either. So maybe maybe even in the sense of like Drew is his ceiling, too, because Drew's not the primary point all the time. He's not the lead ball handler all the time. He can kind of swap in and out of those roles too. So I don't quite know what his ceiling is, but he's going to be a really good basketball player for sure. Yeah. And there's, you know, I wanted to know how he um, compares the recent crop of defense first guards with some questionable shots at that sort of size, like a, a Jalen Suggs, Davion Mitchell, and even going back. I mean, the way that you were describing him as a guy who can play on the ball, but you don't necessarily want to have the ball in his hands kind of reminded me of Patrick Beverly as well. Mm, yeah. Uh, Jalen Suggs. I think I would be lying if I said I like pre-draft, I wasn't higher on Jalen Suggs. He was a guy who I, I really liked and he just obviously hasn't panned out a ton, but definitely a similar mold. Who are some of the others? Patrick Beverly. That's interesting. Davion Mitchell. Davion Mitchell. Okay. He was a guy I was not crazy high on because he, his stock, do you remember that? It went yeah. like skyrocketed after his tournament run. Um. Pat Bev is interesting. He's got a little more catch and shoot to him than Pat Bev. The thing with Kaysen is his numbers like really got worse. He started out like shooting 45% from three. And I was like, this guy's going to go number six overall if he's going to shoot 45% from three. And it kind of got worse as the season went on due to him being more in that point guard role and not shooting as much from the catch. But I think I really do think just from his shot motion and everything else I've seen from him, like you said, he's stable. That carries over to the offensive end too. I think he's going to be a good catch and shoot guy. So there's there's value in being able to draft him as both a two and a one and an elite defender. Like if you're getting Lou Dort and Shadow Lou Dort out there next to Shea, like what what is happening? Well, what about one, his... one of which can shoot off the catch? That would be great. Uh, what about his just overall defensive versatility? Because it feels like he'd be a guard defender most times, but with the Thunder's scheme and just the modern NBA, you're going to get switched a lot. Do you think he's going to be able to survive against bigger wings? He's definitely going to be at his best against one and twos, like undoubtedly at six four. That's just how the NBA works. But he's going to be a guy that initially they might try to match up hunt. And I think they will quickly turn away from that strategy. Cause I mean, with a six, eight wingspan, we know like we've seen it with J dub 
your height doesn't matter near as much as the wingspan. And six eight is that's going to allow him to size up to threes fine, I think. Now, again, one through five, way overrated. Not going to be able to do fours or fives at all, likely. Um, but one and two, he's going to be elite against, and threes, I think he'll do just fine. So, what is it with all the Kentucky guards who have had like lesser roles in college, and then they kind of blow up at the NBA level? Guys like Shea, Tyler Hero, Emmanuel Quickly, Tyrese Maxey. Do you think that Kaysen is one of those guys? And like, what is? Can you explain kind of the the phenomenon there with all those Kentucky guards? It is inexplicable. If I could explain it to you, I would. It is one of the most mind-numbing things to happen every year. And that's another point here is like, what if that does happen? I don't think it will with Kaysen, but he just doesn't have the offensive juice that some of those guys had. And you can kind of tell. And he had the ball in his hands, which was a lot of issues with those guys is they were like Shea was relegated to like the two guard spot. Yeah. So obviously that's going to limit him a little more doing what he does. but. I don't, it, it's completely inexplicable. I, I can't wait to see Kaysen be a 25, five and five guy every night. Generational all-star type talent. Yeah. Allegedly is what's going to happen. Pretty interesting, but um, sounds like you're very high on Kaysen Wallace here. I am. I am. I don't think he'll probably be popular among the fan base just because, I mean, the guard situation, obviously everybody wants a front court piece. I agree with that too. Watching the front court can be a little, a little rough at times, but. He's so versatile. I, I think he would, if you can slot him next to Shea in the starting unit as an elite defender and a catch and shoot guy and Josh and whoever else. But then also if he has the point guard chops to run the bench at times, like I just think that's so, so valuable. And it gives you, you know, just as pivot point, if he does really work out and you need salary to move in a trade, you have Dort, which we're not trying to move Lou Dort by any means, but it's just another option. A hundred percent. Yeah. Obviously, they value this archetype, too, in Lou Dort. So it's interesting. I, I think he'll get more looks there than people think. And who better for him to learn from if you have Lou Dort and Andre Robertson on staff just showing you the <laughs> film and stuff like that? I think, you know, you're, you're selling me on it right now. That's exactly right. First team all D in his future. Well, one guy, I don't, let's see if you can sell me on it. I know you're not as high on that's Kobe Bufkin. Yeah, Kobe Bufkin, 6'4 guard out of Michigan. Now, I like him. I like him. He does a lot of things well. I don't think he does anything elite. He was a solid piece for Michigan, but they have a lot of solid pieces. And as a point guard, alleged point guard, apparently he can he can do a little bit of both. I don't know if I see too much point guard, especially in the NBA. I just don't think his assist rate was good enough for me, especially with pieces like Jet Howard and Hunter Dickinson at Michigan. So he's kind of like if you put him and Trey Mann's college stats up next to each other, they're identical, like so close. And Trey Mann's was a little bit better. And I know Trey Mann's NBA struggles are obviously not all to do with like his physical ability, but it's kind of hard for me to get back into that archetype, especially as a fit with Oklahoma City, just knowing that Kobe Bufkin isn't going to be phenomenal at one thing and he's going to be good at a lot of things, which theoretically Oklahoma city would want, but it's just, I just don't see him shining through in any specific area. Like he's not amazing off ball. So just strictly like catch and shoot. He's not going to blow you away with the ball in hands. He's good, but how much is that going to happen really with Oklahoma city? Unless you're drafting him just for the backup point guard, which is fair, but do you want that at 12th overall? Probably not. So 
he's a good player. I don't see him in the lottery, but I, I, I think Oklahoma City certainly takes a look at him here. I just think there's better options in terms of team versatility. What can you add to the team to make it more versatile rather than like one guy's versatility, if that makes sense at all? That makes sense. I mean, just based on that, I'd much rather draft another piece at 12 and just develop J-Dub to be my second unit point guard or give Trey some extra usage or they have all these giant ball handling wings you can give some minutes to. So I don't think that you want to go the route of a Cameron Payne draft pick of we need a backup point guard. We are taking a backup point guard. End of story. But it's it's interesting with him. I don't see as much of like the six man like burner stuff like with Trey. But I'm glad you mentioned it about just like what his NBA skill is, because that's so much of a lot of these draft prospects is the elevator pitch of, okay, if all else fails, what do you do? And that's why, you know, even it was going to become a meme, the Austin Reeves thing. That's one of the things why I was down on him when he was coming out of OU. I was like, what is his pinpoint uh, staple front page NBA skill? So do you see anything from that from Bufkin or is it just kind of like, stability across the board i think it would be stability he's a fine scorer he's got a little twitch to him he can get to the rack he can he can shoot it off the dribble off the catch but he's just not supremely elite at any singular thing like his at rim finishing is fine his shooting is fine and then defensively again he's good but at six four without like or maybe i think he maybe measured six five actually but with he's not insanely lengthy his defense is good but it, I don't know. I just I can't pinpoint anything either. And that's kind of why I struggle with it. But that would be the the separation point between him and Kaysen is that you can see the defense that stands out compared to Kobe, who's also solid across the board like Kaysen, but he doesn't have just the one capital with the the defensive side. Yeah, there's just there's a few skills with Kaysen Wallace that I think are immediately translatable, and that's mainly his defense. Like he is going to be a day one tough defender. He is going to be able to get open looks and hit open shots. I think in the NBA on day one, he is going to be a good passer. I think he averaged more assists than anybody. I think I've looked at in the lottery. Now he was again, point guard for a long time, but with Kobe, I just, there's just nothing that stands out to me and I need to still do a heat check on him. I need to dive into him more. Maybe I'll find something in that that I can look to but for now there's just nothing that jumps out to me and I'm big on on those kind of moments where you see something and it's like wow he he hasn't had any for me again though good player like I think for the Raptors even at at 13 he makes more sense because they can immediately give him point guard responsibilities their team's already good so he can kind of have that high floor mentality of just don't make mistakes just play within myself that makes sense but with the thunder already having all these guards that basically do that at a higher level it it's tough for me to see personally just hard to see him developing without a lot of on ball reps is kind of what you're getting at yeah and then he's not good enough off ball to like really move the needle for me yeah that makes sense but if you have your heat check and you have to uh do a reprimandum on him we'll bring you back on just for an hour of kobe buffkin apology tour I'm going to come back and I'm gonna, he's the third pick in this draft. He's so amazing. I've been a Buffkin guy this whole time. That's what you're going to come <laughs> on and say. Yeah, I've never once not loved Kobe Buffkin. Yeah, that wasn't me. No. Well, let's get on to some other guys. The Thunder have had a type in the last few years with Poku Uzmanjang, the international man of mystery in the draft. This year, it looks like it's Rayon Rupert. Tell me about him. Yeah, Rupert 
has got to be the dark horse for the pick at number 12. Like if there are odds on the Thunder picking at 12, if there's a plus next to this guy's name, like I'd be putting my mortgage down on him probably. He's six six. He measured with a seven three wingspan, which like if I told you those things, Presti could probably slide the card in with his name on it already. Uh, really, really good defender on ball, off ball. Yeah, I mean, again, we've seen it with J Dub with that wingspan. Like that makes you a four essentially. And if you're six six with the speed and and versatility, he's a great defender. Going to be a great defender. No issues there. Offensively. I don't want to say he's a project because he's got some athleticism. He can, he's got a really nice handle. He can kind of beat people off the dribble, but again, he's a guy that I don't think anything has necessarily stood out to me offensively, his catch and shoot numbers. He like looks the part, great catch and shoot form, but the numbers just weren't great. So he he's an interesting pick, definitely a developmentally He's on the developmental side of this draft, I would say, but certainly in that number 12 range. So I could definitely see Oklahoma City taking a look at him there. It doesn't mean much, but I did appreciate the fact that he was at the combine talking about Mikhail Bridges being a big inspiration for him as a player and a guy he tries to follow. And it's like, I'm glad that if you are coming to the NBA, you understand you're probably not going to be an on-ball guy. And if you can already kind of see somebody kind of starring in their role who's become you know, maybe an all-star level player next year in Bridges. I don't think that's a stretch. I think that's that's a good thing. But maybe that's just me looking for a bright side in this. Yeah, well, with the breakers even, like he had to have known going into that situation that he was not going to be some focal point. Like he averaged five points per game and, and was a defensive specialist. So there's definitely something to be said for guys who know their role in that regard. Now is a five points per game defensive specialist like the most exciting pick at number 12? No, but is it something that the Thunder could benefit from? Definitely. Like he could easily slot into in between the guards, in between the the bigger forwards and be six, six, seven, three and do everything you want in between. So he's an interesting pick here. How would you compare him to Oost just like in the way he played for the breakers? Because I know they played for the same team, uh, both French going over there now coming to America to play in the NBA, obviously different body types, but just the way at like their age, because they're both like very young coming in playing professionally. How would you compare those guys? They were kind of pigeonholed to the same role. I think Ryan repair broke out of it a little less like Usman kind of showcased what he could do with the ball in hands and kind of use that to his advantage to, to earn more reps. And he really raised his stock that way. Repair kind of kept the same thing throughout, but was really, really good at that, at locking down the team's best defender, at getting shots up when he could, being really smart with the basketball, got a little bit of passing chops. So definitely they, they started out in the same role. I think repair broke out of it a little less, but again, to, to go to those teams is that's something that we have heard Presti mention in like, they're going to a different situation. They're going to a team that they know they're not going to be the star of like, there's something to be said for that for both of them. And I think Presti will probably like that the same for repair as he did Jing, if I had to guess. Absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm only 26, but imagining going from 18, 19 years old, moving from France to New Zealand, language barrier, different type of basketball, playing with grown men. And then you go to the NBA across the world to the US. Like, I can't imagine some of like the mental toll that that takes on you. Dude, I listened to Weezer when I was 18 years old. Like, there's no way I could have like 
move to a different country and sustain myself. What are we talking about here? No shot. I, I commend both of them. I mean, you're barely keeping your dog alive right now. <laughs> That's exactly right. I have him downstairs right now. I, I gave him the whole spill before the pot. I said, if you bark, like we're going to have issues. We're going to have major issues. So I haven't heard him yet, but I'm barely holding it together. Like Mark Dignott's halftime speeches, you and your dog. <laughs> but Rayon Rupert, um, I would, how would you compare him to Case? And I guess it would just be way higher ceiling with Rayon. Or am I reaching here? Because it feels like it's kind of like, the mystery box and family guy versus like the actual thing in case in which it's like, it's not going to blow you away, but it's here and you know what it is, but Ryan repair, it could be anything. It could be really good. It could be really bad. Yeah. I think the ceiling has to be higher, right? Just based off like his size, six, six mm -hmm. with a seven, three wingspan. We've seen what a version of the ceiling can be at least offensively with J dub. Other than that, like another guy I probably need to dive into more. But defensively, they're going to do similar things. One obviously has a leg up with his size. It's hard. It's really hard to evaluate like the New Zealand breakers basketball. Like he's ding up guys who have been there, done that. But Kaysen also looked like head and shoulders, one of the best players on the court all the time. So they're similar, definitely both defensive specialists. I think Kaysen's numbers are probably better offensively, way better passer. But Rupair, yeah, you're going with the development with the the ceiling. Maybe he turns into some perfect middle ground between can score and hit open shots and just the elite of the elite defensively with having size. So it's interesting. What do you think about having all these developmental type guys like your Pokus, your Jangs, and then maybe Rupair as just taking these swings? I don't know. Um I just wonder how long it'll take for some of these guys to be in the oven because like Poku, it's like day one, they draft him. It's like, yeah, we'll know in four years. I just wonder with repair, how soon do you think that the Thunder or insert team that drafts him could see some fruits of their labor and like stuff kind of paying off of him? Or when do you think he could be fully developed might be a better question. Uh, Yeah, he's certainly less than Poku, which everyone was, but he's less than Jing, too, I would say, just in terms of what he does. Like, you drafted Jing to be a potential ball handling, like, fluid wing, basically. Mm -hmm. Rupert is immediately going to come in and basically have the same role that he did with the breakers of, like, hey, guard really well, hit open shots, make some money. Like, that's that's it. So I think you would get... I think he would get 10 to 15 minutes next year, probably on like the second unit, at least just in the way, uh, just type of minutes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, his defense is going to translate like that's that's got to be one of the most translatable things. It, of course, like the NBA is going to punch anyone in the mouth in terms of who they're guarding. Like Paul George is going to be a lot different than whoever else. But I, I think he's just due to the role that he plays, he's less of a developmental pick than I'm probably letting on. It just appears more that way based on like the, these other names that we're looking at, like Jarris Walker, Grady Dick is going to come in and have a immediate role, people like that. So I don't want to say he's even a project per se. I probably let that on, but he he's good. He's going to be really good. How do you feel about last thing on him, um, just his overall basketball IQ and decision making and just kind of processing speed? Because you compared him to J-Dub a lot and J-Dub obviously was an older guy who played in college for a couple of years. But that was one of the things that stood out to me the most this season was his maturity and just processing speed. Yeah, again, I'm going to probably need to dive 
deeper on him before I look into his processing speed, but out the gate, I can't imagine it's probably to J Dub's level. Yeah. That that was probably the reason that J Dub is what he is now. But from his role, he's not gonna need to do anything special in that regard, really. Like he's gonna have to be able to keep the ball moving. He's gonna have to know when to take shots and when to not take shots. So if he can even get to a passable point in that regard, I think he he could definitely be the pick here. But just I, be, I don't think he'll be a, a bad decision maker by any yeah. means. But just be a guy who takes some ball handling responsibilities, but he's not bringing it up the floor. Just kind of like niche, um, catch, pump fake, fly by, just short, smaller stuff. That's what I imagine. But his handle is good enough that like, if the if he really put everything together, like if he put the athleticism, the size, the handle together offensively, and he could hit open shots, which would obviously make others be more wary of things like that, he could be really good. Like he could totally be a guy who could bring the ball up and and run some offense, I think, but not going to be like a primary or lead or anything close to that. From one wing shooter to another one, Derek Whitehead. Tell me about him. Six six two sixteen. 6'10 and a quarter wingspan, 18, and uh, and he'll turn 19 in August. Yeah, so Dariq was, I believe, per RSCI, like the number one guy coming into college. So like, obviously, you had Wimanyama, Scoot, and then in the at the college level, it was Dariq. And he had a preseason foot injury, completely derailed his whole season, missed a large amount of games at the start. And then just never came back the same. Like he's a guy who really in high school thrived off of athleticism and he did not look the part at all. Like there are some plays out there where he gets into the paint. He's wide open. He's got the ball in hands. All he needs to do is like jump off two or even one foot. And it's like, what did I just witness? Like it looked like me jumping out there. So he was like very, very blatantly not healthy. And he had another foot surgery recently to fix the preseason one. So again, like that was even more cause of like, okay, he was definitely, definitely not healthy. He's really interesting. Like he's a, he's a guy who at six, seven is going to be able to do a little bit of everything. He still shot 43% from three, not like phenomenal volume, but I think it was like three shots a game, 43% from three, at least he can hit open shots. Defensively, he's going to be fine due to his length. He's got Solid feel for basketball on both ends of the court. He did not live up to the hype at all, obviously. I think he averaged eight points per game. He was the most heralded guy coming into college. But if you told Sam Presti that like preseason prior to the injuries that you could be getting Dariq Whitehead at number 12, I think he would have told you to shut up probably because like this is a guy who probably should have went third. Now, foot injuries are nasty business. Of course, and there, there's many other factors going into this, but he is 1000% a guy that I would look at in the lottery, maybe the top 10. Like, if he comes back the healthy version of himself, he's a top 10 talent in the least. Like, if you go watch his high school tape, he's phenomenal. Like, far and away the best player on the court, just destroying dudes left and right, playing against all these other guys we're naming, and he, he looks much better. So, he would be a gamble, certainly, but really, really intriguing pick. Do we have the specifics on what type of foot injury it was, just in particular? If you don't know, that's fine. I just thought I'd ask. Yeah, I have no idea. Obviously, nothing good if you had to have another surgery on it. But do, do you think if he just sat out the season, his stock would be higher if he just 
had that foot injury and just didn't play. That's a good point. I'm I guarantee you it would be. I guarantee you it would be. Cause he, I mean, if all we had to look at was the the high school tape, I mean, again, he was third based off that. He was number one in the entire class, like in terms of United States high school rankings. So I think so. I think so. The the Shaden Sharp conundrum. What sort of athlete was he before the injury? And if he is able to get back to 100% or even 90%, what sort of athlete is he sort of like in the NBA? Not necessarily game-wise, but just uh, speed, athleticism, jumping, anything like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was a little mix of all of it, which is the best kind of athlete. He he relied on power a lot, so he can sky for dunks. He's a above-the-rim athlete, I think, when he's fully healthy. Um, but he, he's got enough speed that he can beat you off the dribble and he's fun. I mean, he's really fun. Yeah, I liked watching him just kind of as a battering ram on some of those drives because he wasn't mm -hmm. just dunking on guys, but he had really great touch. And then I think that we're kind of bearing the headline of just him shooting from three because I thought he was really, really great from that playing a role, playing off the ball. You know, like you mentioned, he was a number one guy playing in college, and that could have been easily frustrating coming off an injury for them to just play him in the corner. But he sort of thrived in that role. Yeah, I think we talked about it in part one of like strength is a big thing for a lot of these guys in getting bumped off their spots and stuff. That is absolutely no issue for Derek Whitehead. Like he was strong in high school. He he showcased that in college, too, even with a bum foot. So that's something that I think is really translatable. He's got a great frame, 220. And in terms of like the thunder, he slots perfectly in between the guards and the big forwards. He's exactly what you want. Even if we don't get the version of Dariq in high school where he like had the ball in his hands doing a lot of crazy stuff there, even if we just get like a medium version of that with 40% three-point shooting and good athleticism in between all those other thunder players like that's a really, really solid draft pick. Yeah, maybe you don't get some of the ball handling stuff, but you get an increase in three point percentage and defense because he doesn't have to give the effort on the ball and stuff. He a little bit just in the limited tape I watched kind of reminded me of a Harrison Barnes in a in a mm. way. Yeah, I like that. His shot is pretty funky. Like he he kind of vaults it. He's so strong. All he has to do is flick the wrist, which typically that's why centers can't shoot. They're so strong. It's like, how do you, how do you get the power like just right without mm -hmm. like launching it too far? Or that's why they airball in front a lot too. So it's interesting to see those type of guys who are so strong and, and so physically dominant, be able to shoot. That's why LeBron was one of the greatest prospects of all time. So he's a, he's a really interesting individual. Yeah, but I'd love to see him slotted in some of those Wiggins minutes or Lindy minutes and then also give him some blue time to develop the handle and other stuff that he did have pre-injury. But you're definitely selling me on him, a guy who I've been really sold on the last few days. I mean, last night I knew that we were going to talk about him, so I dove into some Leonard Miller tape. Mm -hmm. I liked what I saw, Derek. 6'10", 211, 7'2", wingspan, 19, he will turn 20 in November. What are your thoughts on Leonard Miller? Yeah, Lenny Miller. He was a guy who came out for the NBA draft combine last year, just like a little bit, maybe stunk it up, didn't have a great showing, came back with the G League Ignite in year two. And I mean, production wise, just blew it away. I don't have the stats pulled up, but it was something around like 17 points per game, 11 rebounds, like good efficiency across the board. He can hit free throws. He hustles his butt off on the defensive end of the court, not a 
phenomenal defensive playmaker, like not a traditional rim protector at all. Not going to D ones up on the perimeter either, but he tries really hard. I think he'll get to a really, really passable, if not above average point on the defensive end. So, and then offensively, he has a little bit of post game, typically a rim runner dunker spot kind of guy, but he can also function with the ball in his hands, which we've seen Oklahoma city value. Uh, he's got a little shiftiness fluidity to his movement. And then (laughs) the three-point shot is ugly as all get out, but it goes in the basket for whatever reason. I can't explain it. He shoots like 32% from three, I think, on decent volume. And then he shot like in his last 15, 38% from three on better volume. So it goes in. I don't know how to explain it, but he's a really interesting pick. He's been mocked to the Thunder a lot recently across like all the expert consensus boards. So I think he's very thundery, but of course, if he's the guy that everyone's mocking there, he's probably not going to go to the thunder. Just, just knowing what we know about how Presty picks. Known misinformation spreader, Sam Presty. <laughs> but yeah, he averaged a double-double in the G League, 18 and 11, 11 rebounds. He shot 79% from the line. You mentioned the three-point shooting. He shot 32.7% from three on 2.2 attempts per game. Not bad at all. Um, I really liked what I saw from him, and I was watching your heat check too. And something that you said that really stood out to me was about his growth spurt that he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was another guy who I think he jumped from like six three, probably as like a sophomore in high school or something similar to Zhang to six ten. He measured phenomenally at the combine too. Like I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think seven two wingspan, like. Six ten seven two wingspan. Yeah, like that's good stuff, dude. And he looks every bit of it too. Like he's massive. So the big thing that stands out to me in terms of the Thunder, like if him and Chet were to be paired, is this rebounding. Like he is an elite rebounder. He can grab the ball off the glass. He's got enough handle to push the pace himself, and he's got the passing chops to get it to people too. So that mixed with Chet, who's a fine rebounder, but not as we know, probably going to be even the best on the team. Uh, I think that would be a really interesting pairing. And then to have both of them being able to spread the floor, do things offensively with the ball in hands too, a little bit of passing chops from both. Like that's a really fun front court pairing. And like the physical juxtaposition is also very interesting in terms of like Lenny Miller being a hulking frame. Yeah. He went from six, four to six, 10 in 18 months. Oh my gosh. That's just That's insane. But it it was crazy for me because I was watching him and there were times where he looked really fluid moving and then there are other times where I was like this guy looks like a Frankenstein like renting a body he doesn't really understand how to use. And it made sense to me whenever I heard the thing that you mentioned about him growing late because it is just so weird and I think that he's still maybe you can talk about this more still growing into his game and growing into his body because it feels like for him going from a six, four guard to a six ten combo forward, big and even center is like going from running back to tight end. Like there's some similar yeah. responsibilities. You're playing the same sport, but it's very, very different. People like really underrate a growth spurt like that. They're like, well, he's not a traditional rim protector and he's not, he doesn't have like a traditional post game. And it's like, well, he played as a guard for 15 years. Yeah. And it's got to be, I'm not a basketball aficionado by any means in terms of like my skill, but it has got to be easier to learn the post game than it is like for a big man to learn perimeter oriented things like yeah. after the fact. So 
he's still very much like you said like he's coming into being a big man he's like feeling it out he'll take like wrong-footed jumps or like do weird things with his body and it's like that doesn't look natural but again he's still coming into this like i'm 610 thing so he's really interesting and that's that's exactly what happened to uzman jing and others that the thunder have looked at so he's uh he's interesting and i've heard he is a great kid hard worker too so to my knowledge he checks all the thunder boxes yeah, I really like him, and it is just so weird to grow into that. And I'm glad you mentioned de- developmental skills because, like it or not, as even if we are getting into a positionless basketball, just even in developmental grassroots situations, there are certain like fundamental skills that bigs learn before guards and guards learn before bigs that you just wouldn't normally get because there's just certain footwork things that if you are 6'3", you're just probably not going to need unless you're a big man. So he's probably relearning a lot of those things, but I hope that he can at the same time um, bring back all those guard skills that he has. Cause we've seen a lot of bigs, like you mentioned that had guard skills growing up, like Anthony Davis, Durant and others get those spurts and then turn into just monsters. Yeah. And then lastly, just to like tie up all of the Leonard Miller, he's a guy that I absolutely think is going to get some lottery looks. Like if you look at his production compared to Scoot Henderson, who's going to be drafted number two overall, he did more than Scoot like production wise. Yeah. So he's a guy who came back really obviously worked very hard on his game. Saw a skyrocket in production. Very good. Shows that he can work hard and, and improve year after year. Apparently a good kid. How was that not? gonna get looks he he has this potential high ceiling in terms of like maybe he can do stuff with the ball in his hands maybe he can become a consistent shooter and he's also got this high floor due to he can rebound he is going to be big enough to have a post game he's fast and athletic i think he's absolutely a lottery talent if not i could totally see the thunder trading back into whatever range he's in to grab him yeah he really excites me and you mentioned the shooting yeah, his shot is not not very pretty. I'll, I'll say that, but it's <laughs> he shoots it at a passable rate for the G League level. And I do at least appreciate with him that he gets his shot off. It's not blocked. He has a good high point, good rotation and stuff like that. So if he can master it, whatever, I don't really care how it looks. If he can get it off in time and shoot a good percentage, we've seen guys like Reggie Miller, Kevin Martin, Sean Marion and others without traditional form shoot well at the NBA level. Maybe this is a crazy thought, but last thing on his growth spurt is I wonder how much that changes his shot as well, going from six four mm-hmm. to now being sort of like eye to eye with the rim at six ten. Whenever you're on a jump shot, it's got to do something. It's I mean I I wouldn't know. I'm on the short king bandwagon personally, but it's got to it's got to have some weird effect. That's another thing. Just a small note at the G League level, there's no jump to the NBA. You know, like it's the same as opposed to college where it does get further. So that could be directly translatable, might not just due to various factors, pressure and situation and spacing and all that, but it's something to note. That's why Scoot Henderson's numbers were probably worse across the board is because he was already jumping to pro level three point shooting at 17 years old, which is why he was so heralded yada yada. Yeah. And then the last thing on his shot, I think there are some tweaks that you could make. Um, I don't think he's very well. He starts like up and down in a shooting motion. And mm. then like at the last thing before he releases, it's like he 
is one of those guys shooting the half court shot contest and he kind of like <laughs> flings it up there and his legs go out of control. So I think that's another thing growing into his body and getting stronger. But that would be one of the things I would want him to fix is just being more up and down with his shot uh, consistently. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I'm not like a shot form expert, but you can tell uh, you can tell there's some funky stuff going on there. Absolutely. Well, we talked about one Duke guy and Derek Whitehead. Let's get to another one. And Derek Lively, 7'1", 230, seven foot seven wingspan at 19. He'll turn 20 in February. What do you think about Lively? Yeah, he was another guy who did not live up to expectations. I think he had to be consensus top three coming into the year. Averaged somewhere around five to eight points. Do you have it pulled up? Do you have a stats? It was like five and five. Yeah, five and five. Uh, again, Seven one. He's got all the intangibles you could want in high school. He was a guy who could really stretch out to beyond the three point line and hit shots. There didn't showcase that any, if at all, in college. Do you have that too? I yeah. He averaged five and five, and his three point percentage. Let's see. Was he shot a quarter? He shot point four threes per game on fifteen percent. Yeah. Didn't didn't quite showcase that enough to make that a legitimate uh, skill of his just yet. But a guy you would very much be banking on uh, as a as a developmental pick again. He's got phenomenal size. His block rate was good. So defensively, he's going to be fine. Probably the next in line of this like traditional Walker Kessler style pick that's going to be popular now because Walker Kessler was hit on like people are going to reach on guys like this of oh they're going to be able to do exactly what Gobert and Kessler can do which is I will say right now not always going to be the case but lively I don't know I don't know what to think I saw that the Thunder have talked to him I'm sure like everyone else they're doing their due diligence I can't imagine they're looking at him at number 12 but if he's a guy who like really really sees a slide Maybe you can jump back up into like the late twenties and and pair his versatility with Chet. I mean, that's an interesting fit. At least we've seen that they're going to try this thing with Poku. Maybe you get a highly touted blue chip recruit who has sky high potential to do the same. I'm not sure he he's interesting. Yeah, he only shot 13 threes all season, two of 13, mm. and just watching him in a limited sample size. The biggest takeaway I had was a uh, big Jackson Hayes vibes. Yeah, he's got, I mean, he's got good athleticism like Jackson yeah. Hayes, but the production, I mean, it, it had to be less than Hayes at Texas. Like, I think I saw a thing. I, I'm not going to remember the year I, I would butcher it, but it was like, there hasn't been a first round pick average five or less points in like a good long while. And it makes sense why like the, the Bobby Clintman stuff. I don't know if you've seen this, like KOC jumped him from 40th to 15th on his board and he's getting all these like first round grades. People have him in the lottery. The dude averaged five points for a team that wasn't good enough to make the NIT. I personally, I'm just getting off on like a Derek personal draft philosophy tangent. I'm not going to draft anyone that can't back it up with production that high. Like it's just not going to happen for me. So Lively's kind of in that same mold. I get it a little more, the appeal, but it's hard to look at five points per game. <laughs> to me, it's just, it's tough. He he does feel like one of those Texas bigs, though, of like the Jackson Hayes, Jared Allen, Mo Bamba mold of like or even uh, Kai Jones would be a better one of these super athletic guys where it's like, well, maybe there's more here. It's like probably not. But I don't know. I, <laughs> I like some things with Derek Lively. 
I think it'd be interesting as a backup to Chet, but I think there are other options you could find at the five. Um, I'm glad to see Derek's uh, support Derek's though. <laughs> yeah, I uh, he is a part of the Derek crew, so maybe I should bump him up a couple spots just for just for that. His own tier. Well, uh, last uh, couple things here. I want to know who are some guys you were higher on than consensus because we're seeing a lot of mock drafts. We're seeing a lot of consensus just kind of come out. Like you mentioned, there are certain guys who it's like, well, he's just kind of staple at five because everyone has him there. Who are some guys you're higher on that you think should be towards the top of boards that aren't? I've got three guys here and they're all probably like consensus. I would say early second to late first. And they're all guys that I think could potentially work their way up into like the late teens, or that's at least where I would probably look at them. Colby Jones out of Xavier, 6'6". I think he's technically a guard, but he's got some real size and length to him. He does absolutely everything. I've got a stats pulled up. 15 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, 4.4 assists, and then he was 51% overall, 38% from three. Free throw, we're going to ignore him because it was not good, but... He is a guy who's just going to be absolutely everywhere, do absolutely everything. He's very much the next in line of this mold of like, he's going to translate because he's going to be able to kind of like morph his skills to whatever the team needs. He's a good passer. He's a good rebounder. He can score like whatever team needs any of those individual things he's going to be able to do. And I just, I, I can't not see him being impactful at the NBA level. Another one is Julian Strother. Uh, these are all upperclassmen, by the way. So guys mm -hmm. that probably weren't necessarily highly touted. But Julian Strother of Gonzaga is another one, six seven. He he gives me Trey Murphy vibes without the the athleticism. So he's a guy who I think probably day one in the NBA is going to be able to score in various ways and and help a team in that regard, versatility wise. And then Jaime Hawkes at a UCLA six foot seven. Uh, just another guy who I can't see him not having an impact via the way that he he's so good as a scorer. He can do it with his strength. He can do it on the perimeter. He's a good rebounder, passer. Just three guys that I think are going to slot in and be above average to what people think right now in terms, I mean, probably all role players, but very, very good role players that you're going to get a lot of value with out the gate. Yeah, not everybody can be a star and especially later in the draft role player. If you can get that, that's incredible. Uh, so what are some guys let's let's put on your um, your hater hat here. You're lower on than consensus guys. You just don't see it as much as other draft evaluators do. Yeah, I hate I absolutely hate to do this in the midst of well, I guess really on the back end of short King spring, but Turquavian Smith out of NC State really frail, really small. Uh, he's a hyper scorer. All he's really going to do is shoot. He Came out last year, I think went to the combine and participated in that, which I love. Participated this year too, but came back to NC State hoping to really work his way into the lottery this year and, and didn't do so. The efficiency didn't really take a jump. His stats didn't take a jump. So, I mean, at like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, I don't know what he technically measured at, but I can't imagine it was too much taller than that. He's just not a guy I'm necessarily high on. One-dimensional in the fact that he can score. What else is he going to do? Uh, Maxwell Lewis out of Pepperdine, another guy that people got really, really high on him early. And I was there too. He had a great start to his season, but as soon as he hit conference play stats tapered off big time, when you watch him, he looks like J-Dub like at six, seven, I think he's probably got a seven foot wingspan somewhere in there. He looks like if you line them up, they look very, very similar, but not a guy 
I would necessarily take a shot on probably at Pepperdine. Like I love those schools to have to, to get players drafted, but if conference play at Pepperdine is hitting you hard, like what is the NBA going to be like? Not a guy I'm necessarily super high on. And then Jalen hood Shafino is one that initially I, I like, and I still like him, but I'm probably lower than the consensus on just due to what he does. His scoring package is really weird. His finishing isn't great, which is a, that's a big indicator for me. Like if you can't finish there, what are, how is it going to translate everywhere else at six, six, he's big. He's got a big body. He can pass, he can defend really good two-way player, but his scoring package is just funky. Like he loves the mid range. He takes really inefficient threes and his scoring in general, is just like very bunched up. Like there was a, there was a time he scored like 11 points on 30 shots in a four game span. And then he'll have back-to-back 30 point games. So He's a guy people thought maybe would be a little thundery just in terms of being a six six point guard two way, but I, I definitely don't see it for this thunder iteration. The build sounds like thunder. The shooting percentages sounds like a rocket. Is what yeah. I would say. <laughs> yes, sir. Do you have a hot take of anybody in the lottery you're not as high on? Maybe not somebody who's like, well, they have in the top five. I have them going into the first round, but maybe maybe somebody who's in the top half of the lottery, but you'd maybe want them in the back half. Uh, absolutely. Cam Whitmore. I, for the most part, like all of these lottery picks, like I can, I can find reasons to like everyone and I can find reasons to like Cam Whitmore too, but I don't see at all like the third overall pick stuff, fourth overall pick. I think he's very much more in the range of like a Grady to me, maybe even right there with Derek Whitehead. Like he's a guy I would look at maybe 10 plus. But he does have a few like kind of niche fits with teams up there. I get it. I get taking the shot, but he's definitely lower on my personal board. Yeah, he feels like a guy you're going to have to teach to play basketball for a little bit. Like he feels like a football player playing out there as an elite athlete. So maybe it works out, but I, I definitely feel the same way. But Derek, thank you so much for coming on with me. Both parts the just classic here. Uh, tell the people where they can find your work. I know that you have a lot of stuff in the pipeline, whether it's Draft Digest uh, writing about the thunder and even the YouTube channel now. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm all over bad takes over at D Park OK on Twitter, uh, bad videos over at Derek Dash Parker on YouTube. And then I write for Draft Digest, si.com slash NBA draft. And then inside the thunder.com, we've got stuff going up over there all day long. So those are the main spots, I believe. Awesome. Well, it's always great uh, talking to you. We'll definitely talk again after the draft about whoever the thunder pick up, but Always fun uh, breaking down some basketball. I know you and I uh, get into our pop culture bag as well. So always a, a fun time. We'll see what people say if this is the Godfather 2 of two-part uh, Thunder Draft podcasts. I think it will be. I think it was. Well, Spider-Man 2, we were we were holding the trains together perfectly. I, I agree, yeah. <laughs> Doc Ock uh, meant a lot to me, did a lot for me. That's what it was. But anyways, thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Thank you to Derek for coming on. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back again on Friday for more Thunder draft coverage and more just Thunder information. And we will talk to you again later. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.